Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey folks, welcome back to Making Data Simple. Al Martin here. I'm thankful that you're listening today. Spring is starting to arrive. Finally, thankfully, maybe a light at the end of the tunnel. I actually took a walk outside not too long ago. Before I jump in, I want to thank Kate Main, who's one of our producers. Uh, by the way, an excellent business coach. Check her out on LinkedIn. I'm sure she can help in the business world. I will say that she does a lot around this podcast. I mean, like she does much more than me, so many thanks. Also, Steve Templeton, our producer, puts things together, renders things. Thanks to both Kate and Steve. Today, I have Ahmed Elsa Medici. I'll give you a little intro, and then we'll hear from you. Ahmed started his career at Cornell's Autonomous Systems Laboratory in human-robot interaction. Then he goes to uh, Raytheon to develop tactical AI algorithms for missile defense. Kind of cool, right? Then he says, all right, I'm going to go to Raytheon's Advanced Technology Division and start building human exoskeletons. Think the Iron Man suit. And what I like about best about this is like, quote unquote, but made of rubber because it's way more energy efficient, not a fictional concept, ignoring proper scientific practices. Then that wasn't enough. Too boring. He goes to WeWork and the next couple of years starts building WeWork's standard uh, data infrastructure. Then he, if that wasn't enough, you know, he does a single time series da table data model that we need to talk about at WeWork, sees results and then says, you know, look, I'm going to go start my own business. And he starts Narrator. It's based on, to my understanding, I'm going to learn about it just like you all, the single time series data model that he founded at WeWork. And it's a new approach. It asks questions, it understands customer behavior, analyzes data across all the systems in terms of a universal data model. Welcome, Ahmed. I appreciate you being here. Thank you for reaching out. I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself in your own words, if you would. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, that was a great intro. Um, <laughs> there's a, definitely a through line to everything I've ever done. I am obsessed with how people make decisions and really helping that decision be driven by data. So whether it was helping cars make decisions to helping intelligent systems make decisions for missile defense or helping people make decisions that we work, that's kind of what I've been doing. And Narrator takes that to the next level by helping anyone make better decisions. Is that your brand? Solving business decisions or data decisions? Or how would you describe your brand? Making better decisions. I really believe that if we get every single person in the world to make better decisions, we'll have a better world. And that's the future. And I think data helps make the best decisions. All right. Starting with Cornell's Autonomous Systems Laboratory, human-robot interaction. And that also tied into my understanding, algorithms for autonomous cars. Tell me a little bit about what you were doing then. Cars need to navigate in the street. The car needs to know where it is and where it is relative to the world. And this is called the localization problem. And it's kind of what causes the biggest challenge in, in AI. If you don't know where you are, you won't know how to respond. And if you drive a Tesla and you put it on autopilot and you see a car just like kind of jitter or jump, that's known as a localization problem. You've tried a lot of algorithms to help the car make decisions on how to avoid obstacles, how to understand where it is, and how to update 
and react to the world that's changing around it. How many years did you work in autonomous cars and human robot interaction? So we spent uh, four years in there competing against like different kinds of cars, having cars make decisions. And eventually I shifted from the car understanding where it is and navigating to how does the car make decisions with humans? My biggest project that probably got the most attention was we played a game of 20 questions with every student in college. And we said, what if I sent a robot out where the robot doesn't know what it's searching for and doesn't know where it is, so it has no information, and it can just ask questions to people and all the people know what it's looking for. And the little twist is that people could lie to it. So it had no idea if everyone's honest or not. And it turns out combining this fuzzy information from people, from the cars, from its sensors, allowed the robot to find what it's looking for five times faster than if it did it without this fuzzy human help. So it was able to navigate the human condition <laughs> of lying, the truth, lie or dare or whatever. I mean, it was able to get through it all is what you're saying. Yeah, it actually got like uh, branded as the robot that can detect lies uh, for that purpose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know what tools you're using, but I'd be curious as to, to what tools you were using, but it's uh, machine learning models, et cetera. I focus on Bayesian mathematics. Listeners here know specifically which aspect of machine learning it is, but yeah, it's all within machine learning and AI space. What's your favorite language that you use around machine learning? What are you usually coding in? So right now I code a lot in Python. That's what I do today. In the past, I have done a lot of C Sharp and C++. In autonomous cars, you really go down to C++ most of your life. Now I do Python. I think where a lot of the startup people live. I'm from the old school. I'm C, C++. I'm with you there. That's where the real magic begins and ends. How many languages do you code in? I think coding is a way of thinking to me, it's just like mathematics is. So we just yeah. respond, the syntax just changes when you need it to change. So then you advance or and progress to AI algorithms. They must've looked at your AI algorithms in terms of uh, robot interaction and autonomous cars. And then you um, start coding for missile defense. Anything that you can say about your, your endeavor around missile defense. So missile defense, it's a really fascinating problem. We talk about data and machine learning and people talk about like big data and a lot of data and we need supercomputers. And the beauty in missile defense is you're dealing with one of the most advanced systems ever. Like you're trying to block a missile, which is like a thousand objects moving at very fast speeds out of the atmosphere. And you're trying to reason about these countries who are trying to hide the missile and you're trying to handle figuring out this like impossible puzzle of all these things happening and you have five minutes and the biggest thing that most people don't know is that the systems that run it run it on like uh what's called the superdome which is pre-intel 60 32-bit computers that means that the entire writing algorithms you have less power and less space than you currently have on your cell phone like making fast decisions with very little, you can't do a lot of the common approaches that you do today. You can't just like train it. It's like you're dealing with a situation where you've never seen it before. You're trying to make good decisions. You can't really, you don't have that much compute power and that much storage and you have to do it fast and you have to be really, really accurate. That makes you like a super coder. A long time ago, I used to be part of this company called Informix. We're a database company. And we did have uh, folks that would code on, at the time, it was like 386. 
And that was ancient. But the reason they did that is because if you could make it work on 386, you could make it work on anything. That kind of describes what you're saying. Uh, but tell us a little bit more. So you got to your point, you got to make on-demand decisions. Can you talk to us the data methods that you were using, data repositories, anything yeah. around the, the applications you were creating that were driven on demand? When you're working with algorithms, and this is the kind of the luxury that I got that I didn't get when I joined WeWork, is that a lot of the data engineering problems are solved. So you have data already structured, you have data coming in a very specific way, and it's very, very ready to do the algorithm. And I think as you transition to the world of startups, you start seeing that that level is never there. Dealing with data wasn't an issue when you're working on just algorithms. But in today's age, with most startups and most companies, there's a lot of new problems that we started seeing. Then you uh, start building human exoskeletons. Hmm. All right. You got to tell me about this. Okay. This is a fun one. Let me tell you a little bit about it. So I think Iron Man really inspired a lot of people, which might have also inspired people to build Iron Man. And what most people don't know is Iron Man is a terrible thing to build. And the reason why Iron Man is a terrible thing to build is that for Iron Man to walk requires as much energy as Iron Man to like walk through a wall. It's like the amount of computing power and heat that just requires for that entire machine to move would be incredible you would probably have to have an internal combustion engine, like a hybrid car with a cooling system just to walk for like an hour. So, <laughs> but it looks cool. It does look cool. It does look cool. What, is, what did they get wrong? Come on, tell us. I think that's I'll the, you. the problem with Iron Man is that if you don't need Iron Man, it's still the same cost. So one of the benefits of using rubber is the benefit of having it be zero energy when inactive. So if you look at the work from uh, Dr. Robert Shepard from Cornell, he talks a lot about this pneumatics and soft robotics, which is the idea that it's elastic. So if a soldier is wearing a rubber suit and they're running, they're not using any energy. It's just rubber. But when the soldier needs or anyone needs to use extra energy, then you can use power of pneumatic. And pneumatics allow you to give you these high pressure. Think about it like a paintball tank powering your suit, which is just high pressure, like oxidizing liquid nitrogen to give you all this force so you can pick up something really, really easily within your suit. And you only need that energy when you're struggling. So you can also detect and understand when someone's body is put to its limits and react to it. And you've seen companies like Athos uh, with just using EMGs understand which muscles are activated and when you're struggling. You combine that with the work of Robert Shepard with soft pneumatics and you can then have a rubber suit that allows you to move comfortably and only when you need it, have like the superhuman strength that you need to go. Yeah, but hold on. I would imagine rubber is an insulator, is it not? So the heat would be a problem, I would imagine. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, but you're not going to be fully in rubber. So you only need rubber to activate specific muscles. This is getting interesting anyway. Keep telling. You're doing well. Yeah. Your main muscle groups, imagine if you had like attachment to your elbow. So when you need to curl something, it would activate. But it, it doesn't, for it to push your elbow up, it doesn't need to be fully enclosed around your arm. So you can have these, uh, kind of imagine them as thin rubber liners that sit on your major joints where you need extra force and that will push it. So you're actually cooling in a slight exoskeleton. Dude, why would you ever leave that job? 
I'd be getting up early to go to work every day just to play with this thing. Well, the answer is honestly, I wanted to work with startups. I wanted to work with smaller companies. I loved what I did at Raytheon and I really, really enjoyed doing this advanced work. And I really, really wanted to do more. I wanted to impact more of the smaller companies, more companies out there. And I thought that WeWork and what they were doing with community and bringing all these places together would be a really, really exciting place to be. So we're still at Raytheon at this point in time, developing this exoskeleton. What became of it? Am I going to be looking outside someday and see somebody floating in midair, like Iron Man or what? Flying is a really hard problem. The answer is, (laughs) no, no, can't talk anymore. (laughs) Wait a second. This is like you're leaving the the, the listeners in suspense. I don't care so much about them, but you're leaving me in suspense here. Let me ask you this way. Is it possible to have Iron Man just without all the flashy uh, metal he's wearing? Probably wouldn't want it. Like Iron Man had to invent a new power source to make Iron Man work. If I could paint you a picture of what Iron Man would look like if you had a real Iron Man, it would look more like a Transformer than an Iron Man. (laughs) Our theme here is data. So what kind of data were you using to make decisions around this uh, Iron Man suit? So it's actually electrical signals. It becomes a much similar to a signal processing problem. Your body is communicating to all your muscles using electricity. And we have to be able to interpret that and understand what you're trying to do so we can respond to it. The system that's powering these actuators needs to be able to make these decisions very quickly and, and correctly. We have to kind of guess what you want to do and then react to it. And that's kind of the data that you end up dealing with. You develop the Iron Man suit. And then you say, no, I'm going to WeWork. That's quite a change, isn't it? From a career perspective. It was actually the way I got that job at WeWork. And um, later on, the person who did this becomes my investor and narrator. I had a friend at WeWork and I was talking to them about a company I wanted to start, which was about helping people dance. I was trying to build YouTube meets like corrective body motion so that a suit would fix your dance moves. <laughs> All right. This is like Iron Man suit for Mr. Martin that can't dance. I like it. I like it. I, I'm interested. I'm in the market. I go to my friend, Jesse Middleton, and I'm like, hey, I want to build this. And he goes, what? <laughs> like, what are you doing? He goes, how about instead of doing that, you have been an individual contributor for most of your life. Why don't you learn to build a team? And I'm like, no, I think I want to build a suit that makes people dance. (laughs) And he's like, come over, I want to talk to you. And I'll never forget it. He puts me in a conference room in a WeWork. And he goes, I have a friend that wants to talk to you. And he brings the CTO of WeWork. And I'm talking to him. And then he brings the CEO of WeWork. And I'm talking to him. And I'm just, am I being interviewed here? What's going on? And I leave. And I'm like, Jesse, what was that? He's like, they want you to build data for WeWork. And I think you should do it. And he goes, if you do that, I promise you, anything you want to build next, I'll fund it. Who's this you're talking to right now that just talked to you into staying? Yeah, so this was an early uh, member of WeWorks. He's one of the early founders of WeWork on the founding team. Okay, got it. And he later on uh, becomes a partner at a firm called Flybridge. I got it. Hey, have you created the dance suit yet? (laughs) No. You might want to go on, what's that, Shark Tank? Yeah. 
I'm fascinated right now. A little disappointed, I must say, that we don't have a dance suit coming. All right. So you're at WeWork. And okay, what'd you learn at WeWork? This is an interesting problem with startups. In the past, we've always had one data source. And it was like, whether it was a car, whether it was a robot, whether it was a radar, you had one real focused data source. And in startups, you no longer have one data source. In the past, you had one database, but now we have way more systems. So WeWork being kind of this real estate hybrid company, you would think has one, two data sources, but it actually has 85. You have a separate system for managing space and how we invoice and how we bill and how we move people in and out. We have a separate system for acquiring buildings, a separate system for managing members' experiences and your ticketing system for people complaining, your um, contract negotiation system, your website, you have your Salesforce for your sales team and all these different systems and so much data. We had a warehouse with 85 systems about, I think it was like 9,000 tables of data. Dude, and you just described the enterprise data problem for damn near every client on the planet, but that's great. You're doing better than me. Keep going. So you have these insane amounts of data and you want to reason about it. So you take this data and people like to use fancy words for this thing, but it really hasn't changed that much in 50 years where you build a system in the middle that takes that data, uses SQL to transform that data into more cleaner tables that you can use for your BI and your analytics. This process is called ETL or ELT, depending on uh, which side you stand on. This middle layer that has to be built gets really big really quickly. Every new question you have needs to be modeled and added to this tables and tables and tables. And now your middle layer has hundreds of transformations that are on top of each other, thousands of lines of SQL on top of thousands of lines of SQL. And you have this very, these final tables that go into your dashboarding or reporting tool. And like everyone else has experienced, you're going to have numbers not matching. You're, it's going to take forever to get the answers you want. And a lot of questions that you think seem simple, like how many people that came to our site called us, become very complicated problems because you have to go through this mess and deal with multiple different data sources and stitching that data together. And every year, and depending on how big your enterprise is, it's every six months or a year or every two years, you swap out your BI tool and you swap out your middle layer with a different tool, hoping to solve that problem. And you take all that junk you put in your BI tool, you throw it away, you start from scratch, and you're like, look how much better this is. And then a couple months go by and it's back to numbers not matching, lots of dashboards, lots of confusion, <laughs> and people lose trust in data. Ahmed, I love you, man, because you know what? You just described the challenge of my life. This is the quintessential making data simple because you've described the progression of data through any company, even the smallest of companies. I mean, 85 is not that much. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, many people are out there laughing at that. I mean, we're talking about a data swamp. That's why, you know, what I spend most of my time doing is you know, getting clients to modernize, get out of their data swamp in a microservices architecture that has integration, et cetera, cleans things up. And that's why at IBM, like we have what, what's called the hybrid uh, cloud model where we'll leave your data where it is as you migrate some of it. Because if you try to do it all at once, it'd be a, a mess. All right. So back to the story, got a data swamp. Now, what do you do? Pretty much this data swamp problem, even if you can get tools, we used Airflow, Luigi, and DBT, and you have this clean transformation tool that helps you 
represent data and track lineage and you have your data dictionary to define what these tables are and you have your looker or your people are able to explore. This is great, but you still run into the same issues. That's what the problem that I became obsessed with. You still have to manage hundreds of tables in the middle. You still deal with numbers not matching and you still deal with the complexity of data. And you see this because every company, the only way they solve data problems is throwing more people at their problems to help manage this system. And if you study the history, this system hasn't changed. These problems that I'm talking to used to be, you would have your data lake with Microsoft stored procedures to process the data in your staging layer. And then you had your, whatever version of BI tool you were doing uh, at that time. And whether you moved from Power BI to Chartio to Tableau to Looker, it's, and whether you moved from Airflow to Custom to Databricks to DBT, it's still the same conceptual challenge. And when we went out to talk to every customer, we never saw a company that has solved this problem. This is where we came up with this idea. So let me paint you a picture of a world that could exist. All right. All the important data that you needed was in one table. Not 700, but one. And what if that one table was just 11 columns? No JSON, no abstraction, just pure 11 columns, simple structure. And what if you can answer any question just using that one table? And the last bit of uh, thing I wanna add, what if that one table was the same exact table for every single company? It would be cool. Well, let's hold on for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> what does that enable? Well, if you standardize all of data to a single structure, then you can actually begin commoditizing data, not just democratizing it, but you can commoditize it. You can now make it possible for data communities to exist, sharing analyses across companies and sharing algorithms. Everything can become plug and play because the input is the same. Part of the other benefits you're gonna get if you do this structure is you have a single source of truth, it's one table. Everyone knows where to go. It's that one table. It becomes actually way faster uh, on your data warehouse, and we'll talk about that in a second. And it becomes so much easier to learn because you only need to learn one table. That's the world that we went out to create. All right, all the DBAs in the world are listening right now, and they're thinking, what land does this guy live in? Yeah. No, no, no. So it's a great thing. So let's talk about speed because part of the thing that people haven't realized is that we have evolved so much in our data warehousing ability. These data systems are designed to deal with long, like a lot of data. So actually most data systems work really well when you have a thin, long tables. They're just the way that they're partitioned, the way that data is processed, it works. And you know that because people are doing IoT and they're capturing like data at 60 Hertz, which is 60 uh, things per second for a thousand sensors. We can deal with billions and hundreds of billions of rows much easier than we can deal with a thousand tables. So this is a really thin structure, and we see this with our customers. We can process billions and billions of rows easily in seconds. I'm listening. You gotta convince the community though that I get that it's a data warehouse. You know, the longer the rows, the more difficult an access is gonna be unless you have a unique design that you wanna tell us about. Let's talk about the structure for a second. This kind of idea of building a long time series table exists in your system already. I'm sure that if you're either doing a lot of CDPs are capturing data in long time series tables and we do it. It's never actually processing or control. It's really often comes into how do I use that table to answer questions? 
Because if you're familiar with the way that data works is we are joining a lot of data. Like you take two data and you have a foreign key and you join it to create the data set that you need. We call this activity schema. In this structure, there's no joints. And what took Narrator uh, nearly three years was reinventing how we relate data to be no longer dependent on these hard explicit keys and more dependent on customer, time, and relative occurrence. In Narrator, you're actually taking this long table, which is made up of these building blocks that we call activities, and we're rearranging them based on the question you need and instantly creating that uh, level, the data set that you need to, to um, visualize it or process that information. For everybody listening, we got multiple listeners. Time series being a space of points in time. It's like discrete time data that you're after. I mean, think of, I don't know, like stock tickers or, or, you know, I don't know if there's a better way you want to describe it. I just want to make sure everybody's on the same page. Actually, I think the best way to get everyone to fully kind of get that clarity of what a, what this activity schema is, is let's start with a real question. Al, why don't you give me any company in the world you want and give me a question you have about something in their business. And I'll show you how we would answer that question in the world of narrator. And in explaining, I'll explain what the data model would look like. And that I think it will give people a lot more clarity. And using any example shows kind of the range. My question is Berkshire Hathaway, what their next investments are so I can get ahead of the game and, and be rich like uh, Warren Buffett. So you were looking at Berkshire Hathaway and Berkshire Hathaway wants to know when the fact that you come and look at it, are you more likely to kind of buy into their portfolio? They're trying to understand, is there a specific kind of portfolio that you viewed to actually get you to buy into their portfolio? Berkshire Hathaway has like marketing data on the website and they have their internal data when you buy in. And in Narrator, we, the way that we're talking about your actions right now is through a customer, which is you, doing things, which is viewing a portfolio and investing in package. So you would have a time series table, which means that it's going to capture every time you viewed a portfolio. In the table, each row will be Al at this time viewed portfolio with some metadata on it. And then another row for Al at a specific time investing in, in the portfolio. Now, those are what we call two activities in this time series data. Yeah. As you can imagine, if you want to know, given that someone comes in for the first time ever to their site, so we have another activity called visited site, and we can look at people who, whether they viewed the portfolio or not, how likely are they to buy? You can imagine if it was, oh, I can do this for one person. I can look, did you view, yes or no? And did you buy, yes or no? Pretty much at its core, that's what we're doing for billions of people, for just billions of rows and billions of customers. We are breaking down your business into these core building blocks in time. And then we provide you with a tool to arrange those building blocks with these conditions all happening within time. So I don't have to worry if there is an identifier that ties a page view to um, invested in portfolio. I can use time to really relate that data. And I can look at every individual customer and do it. And we can layer in more and more and more things as the structure goes. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but why does your solution differ? I mean, look, we have, uh, there's multiple technology around time series that I've been working with for many, many, many years. What is your differentiator? This is the kind of my favorite question. There's a, a couple of additions that you get with Narrator, and it's not, most technologies that live in time series often live in the world of CDPs, where they're really good at doing counting and funnels and aggregation. 
Narrator is actually a transformation layer. And what that, a CDP stands for customer data platforms, heap, segment, mix panel. And they capture data in from often from your front end and you have to push data into it and say, this happened. Narrator is actually on your data warehouse. What that means is that all your data is being dumped into this data warehouse. Narrator is pulling the data and rearranging it. That means that you can access every single data source you have. You're always using the source of truth and you have this simple structure all within your control. The second thing is the innovation of relationships. Remember I told you that the problem with time series data is getting it to answer any question. Most tools can just count. We had to literally reinvent the concept of joining data. And I can tell you that when this first, our reinvention, when it first was released, it looked like an airline dashboard. You had to define like 300 things to get it to work. And now it's just one dropdown. And by using language in between, after, before, we're able to very powerfully rearrange the data at any scale to give you the structure that you need to do your visualization or aggregation. So that's and where that, the name narrator comes in. Yeah. So narrator is helps you create that structure on top of your warehouse. It helps you use that structure to rearrange it to create any table you need. And then there's the third part, which I think is one of the coolest things that led me to the kind of the dream, which is we talked about commoditizing data analyses and algorithms. Well, every company that uses Narrator today has the same data model, which is our activity schema. What that allows us to do is break down analyses into to use this building blocks. For example, lifetime value is just using one building block, which is completed in order, or someone just purchased something. Independent of your company, whether your orders are on Shopify or on Salesforce e-commerce cloud, or any concept, you can run our entire handwritten expert analysis by just pointing it to that one building block that narrator needs. And if you want to understand how does viewing a page impact likelihood to convert, that's two building blocks. How does doing this action impact conversion from this uh, activity to the next activity? And by just simply inputting those building blocks, we can process all the data, do the whole analysis instantly for you and deliver you this beautiful story that tells you everything we did, everything we checked, and, and it will make clear recommendations of what you should do. But isn't every one of those questions its own corresponding table? Every one of these questions, one layer away from that structure into creating the table. So narrator, all your data, your 10,000 tables in your warehouse becomes one table. One table gets rearranged per question. And then anytime you have a new question, you just rearrange the table to answer that question. So there's no really layers of dependencies or managing it. Anybody can come in, ask that question, and rearrange the table to answer it. So what's the performance of that rearrange, though? The proof is in the pudding. And it's with warehouses. Because we recompile the data on your warehouse using just pure SQL, it ends up becoming really, really fast. So we'll do like a billion rows in like 30 seconds. Uh, to rearrange the table. And you can add layers and layers of complexity. And the good news is Warehouses has optimized the ability for you to run very complex queries as fast as possible. And with our single structure, to give you a scale, a billion rows in our activity schema is 50 gigabytes. BigQuery can crunch 50 gigabytes in a second. <laughs> like, that's We're kind of talking uh, queries that are reporting in nature that are run multiple times. So you get that cache-like feed for whatever you're to gather information on. 
Yeah. So your warehouse is going to provide you with a lot of good caching. And it's, again, you're just scanning that one table. So it's constantly doing it. And because the rearranging is done through a UI with Narrator, you get that benefit of the consistency of how you're generating these queries. You get the trust that there'll be no duplication. There'll be no dropped rows. All that stuff is being handled. And any question across any of your sources becomes possible. And that's what our customers really, really love. The fact that like they don't have to worry about the data sources. They don't have to worry about data engineering. They don't have to worry about anything. Once the data gets into Narrator, they're free to answer any question they have, get these quality analyses, and move in minutes. Narrator sits between the application and the database itself. It's able to design the warehouse on the fly based on the, the parameters you described. Is that true? You have your data warehouse. Narrator just connects to your data warehouse. And in your data warehouse, Narrator, will re you can rearrange your data into our activity schema, and then anyone can use the data that they uh, need. You would use a data store, some kind of database on the market that would sit on the back end of Narrator. That's what I'm asking. Data repository. I mean, you've created your own database. You have it, right? We just connect to your whatever warehouse you use. All the major ones that you use. IBM DB2? We can add that one. You need to add that one. <laughs> we'll add IBM DB2, and then we just connect to that where all your data holds, and we rearrange the structure into our activity schema, and then you can access it. And when you talk about governance and control, because everything is built up to these building blocks, not only do you have a standard language for people to talk about their data because everything is an activity, you can then put controls on that. So these people can only use these set of activities, and now you, you only have to worry about them using these activities. All right, so do this. Walk me through it. If I'm a customer that's using Narrator, walk me through the use case that you're describing, the workflow through Narrator, through the database, back to the client in terms of visualization, and then what the uh, end result is. Can you do that? Just to kind of yeah. put it all together. Let's use a classic e-commerce company. They have Shopify, they have emails, they have all these different systems. You come in, you, you want to set up your warehouse, you choose BigQuery and Fivetran, you dump all your data into your warehouse. So you just connect those sources into your warehouse, and now you have a warehouse with 5,000 tables. You then decide what are the core building blocks to your business, and you write a tiny little SQL transformation that defines these building blocks with your business logic. You hit push to production and Narrator will create this activity schema and start migrating and managing that data, syncing it in near real time into that table that will be stored in your data warehouse. So it's gonna be stored in IBM DB2, that schema and that table. Then you start giving access of Narrator to your team. Anyone can ask any question that they need using these building blocks. If there's a building block that they need that doesn't exist, you go back to your team and they add it to their system and give you access. As long as you're using those building blocks, you can answer any question. And what we see is most companies, about 90% of narrator customers will have between 20 to 40 building blocks. And then they're able to answer any questions that are there. Let's say they have a more complicated question where it's not as uh, they want to kind of run more of an analysis. They need to think about it. They're like, what's my CAC? Where should I be spending my money? Uh, what's my best campaign on Facebook? Then they would actually run one of our narrator uh, analyses out of our library, where they will input a couple of answers. They would choose their building blocks that represents their data, answer a couple of questions, and instantly get a story that guides them through the entire analysis that narrator has done to help them make that decision. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, I got it. Can you talk to any um, impact ROI that you've done with recent customers that you know tout the uh, return on investment? This is where our customers really, really shine. I think one of our early customers, 
was just very heavy on emails and they were able to increase their return visitors to their site by 36% by shifting their marketing strategy to stop sending emails after three emails were sent, send the first email within a certain time frame, and send a very specific set of emails. And that increased it. And all they asked was, how does emails impact uh, return visitors? We had another customer that actually stopped spending money in Pinterest. They were running our CAC analysis and it told them to stop spending money in Pinterest because they were losing 10 cents on every dollar they spent on Pinterest. And to shift their spending from Facebook a little bit more to, toward AdWords. That was another huge win on the marketing side. In terms of product side, it was somebody asked what's the best place to put the paywall feature. And customers ended up shifting the paywall to stop, instead of being in the beginning, to only show the paywall after a certain amount of days when customers who saw the paywall at that time were significantly more likely to convert. And that increased their revenue by nearly 12%. Those are a couple examples I can... Those are good. So as we're kind of coming to closure here, is there a location you would uh, have the listeners go to and or where they can maybe view an online demo or something? I highly recommend uh, customers go check out our website and our doc site. We have a lot of information there. And if you like my philosophies, you'll see a bunch of blogs also that we write. And schedule a demo. I think most of those demos will go to me or my team. And we'd like to walk you through real examples, real questions that you have, and show you what it'll be like to use Narrator for that case. Because I think that even though I think most listeners will be like, kind of makes sense, seeing is believing. I think taking an entire data system that we already know has thousands of tables and it's very complicated, and really making it one table and being able to answer really any question with that table sounds unbelievable. And as a person who's demoed this product for years, you will see it. You will uh, kind of see what you're doing, but there's no way you can answer every question. And then we push you to start a POC where you get to experience this proof with your own data. And if we can't answer any question you have with your own data by Kenti Warehouse in, a, in like a couple of minutes in front of you using our tool, then we're doing something wrong and we're not living up to the expectation we're setting. I want you to all to experience it and try it. Because I think that's the biggest way to believe what we're saying. Yeah, I, I, that's why I asked for, for the demo. Because we could sit here for quite a while and, and go through the intricacies of, of how it works. A lot of database folks that, that listen. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of notes on this, which is great. Look, I, I like to uh, agitate the database community. And so we'll send them to, was it narrator.com? Is that what it is? What is it? AI. NarratorAI.com. How, how long have you guys been out there in existence? Uh, we're on our fifth year. Fifth year. Nice. Things going well, even through yeah. COVID? Yeah. Honestly, the more we're seeing such a... I don't know if it's COVID has any impact, but the data community kind of follows a cycle. Every couple of years, they... And I think most data folks who've been out in the industry have already used multiple BI tools and multiple transformation layers. And they're kind of exhausted from doing the same thing. So we're seeing a lot of people who are just like, wait, I think we're the first company in the world to do a very a different standardized transformation layer. And I think more companies have been um, excited to kind of see clearly what we're doing isn't working. So let's try something that's fundamentally different. And when you see it working, you're kind of, um, you're sold. Well, one thing we can agree on for sure is that everything you described in terms of the current situation that almost every client finds themselves in and selves in and, and what I refer to as the data swamp. I mean, everybody refers to it uh, and trying to uh, 
get out of that mess uh, that we all created for ourselves. It's a natural thing that happens with uh, the technologies we've been using today. So look, I uh, appreciate you being here. This has been very informative. Look, I learned a lot. I'm a data guy, so I have more questions. I'm going to go try that demo myself. Anything that we didn't say that you want to make sure uh, we reference? I, I think we covered almost everything. Stay skeptical and uh, proof is in the pudding. So I'm um, right. welcome anyone to talk to me about it and we'll dive into it. Fantastic. Hey, look, I got a couple more questions as we sign off. Just a little game I want to play with you. It's called Word You Rather. I'm sure you've heard of this game before, right? Let's do it. All right. Here's the questions I have for you. Self-driving cars or human driving cars? Uh, Self-driving cars. Oh, so you're going with the tech, huh? All right. I got it. All right. What's more important, the data or AI? Ooh, um, neither. The person asking the question. I think <laughs> I'm going to let that one go. That was a good response. All right. Corporate or entrepreneur? My current stage of life, I would say entrepreneur. I think that like I've worked in the corporate and it's really exciting. So it depends on um, where you are in your life. It's a tricky question. Yeah, I got to tell you, the Iron Man suit, uh, that's pretty interesting, dude. <laughs> that one had to be hard to get away from. Um, all right, two simple questions to end. What do you see is the number one leadership trait that's a must that every great leader should have? My professor in college used to say, the job of a leader is to align, motivate, and inspire. And I think that comes down to communication. If you can get your whole team aligned on what you're trying to accomplish, if you can motivate them to work hard and be the best they can be, and if you can inspire them to challenge you and go above and beyond and try different things, then I think you're an incredible leader. And that's what I aspire to do. And that's what I look for in every leader. Fantastic answer. I like that, man. All right. Last question. What are you reading right now? Right now, I'm actually reading The Power of Bad. But if I had to recommend a book, I would highly recommend Never Split the Difference. It is my favorite book in the world, and I buy it on Amazon five at a time, and I just give it to people. If you haven't read that book, you should read it. But right now, I'm reading The Power of Bad, which is... What, uh, what is so good, The Power of Bad? I got that. What is so great about Never Split the Difference? It teaches you how to properly communicate. I think that we forget that communication is a skill. And if you can be really good at active listening and communicating, especially in emotional situations, which is every single day, I think you can, everything in your job becomes better. Communicating with my girlfriend helped us a lot. Communicating with my parents helped us a lot. Sales, doing these podcasts, anywhere in the world, you're constantly communicating. And the better you can do that, the better it was. Ahmed, I think we'll end on that. Look, you're a fantastic guest. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your, your thoughts. And look, we'll put a lot of what we talked about in the show notes. Thank you. This is great. Thank you so much, Al. I loved it. It was so much fun. <laughs> it was fun. It was a great time. Right, and for you listeners, I always say thank you. I uh, can't say thank you enough. Hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. And until next time, I shall see you on the podcast. Later, folks. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.